You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Guys, we have reached the end of 1 John. So wait, is there, are there claps? Are there boo? I don't know. Like, what, How do we feel about it? That's a good barometer. Um, I hope you enjoyed First John. It's such a unique letter, um, and, and it's interesting because as we looked, we were looking at first of saying, hey, let's teach First John. What are some classic breakdowns? And there were not classic breakdowns. Most of the time it was like one verse and they teach the whole book or just the idea of it or something like that. So we have maybe successfully dove in more into First John than anyone ever, maybe, I don't know, not going to check that, just going to say it confidently. Um, but uh, it's been really good. I hope it's enriched uh, your life, but then also just now um, we just have a better understanding as we revisit and reread uh, a letter like John's um, for our, our enrichment or for encouraging someone. But um, yeah, as we talked about a lot of times, um, John doesn't have these like logical argumentative argumentative progressions like Paul where he's like if A then B then C this kind of thing he's going circles and circles so he also always kind of looks back so what he's saying now even to end the letter it's not a classic conclusion or like so here's my heart greetings from where you know wherever Paul would say Um, but John is like hey I'm just going to keep going I'm going to lead you back into it Um, so remember you know in the time of this letter there was this growing cynicism about who Jesus actually was who Jesus actually was, was he wasn't actually God in the flesh, as some of the false teachers were saying, that he was more of just a man that was kind of almost possessed by God's spirit to then be able to do these amazing things, and it was God's spirit at work through them. So that's all we need. We just need the spirit, regardless of the flesh, do whatever you want in your flesh, uh, but if you have the spirit and this knowledge that comes with it, then you are good, you are saved. Um, but then this has caused some like doubt and some question. You can see, even as you say it, you can see a, like, okay, like I can get on board with that. That's fine. It sounds good. It's a win for me and my flesh. And it's a win that I'm saved and I have the spirit in me. So the, the world kind of gravitates to this kind of thing. And this has caused some doubt and caused some questioning in the Christian community in this, in this first century uh, era, uh, what they should actually believe, what was actually the truth about Jesus. And we've looked at a lot of things, and as John has kind of brought out that, like, well, God is light, and there's no darkness in him. God is love, and there is no hate in him. And he's been talking about these things, kind of, kind of arguing the truth that we do have. And over the last few months, he's given uh, his uh, original audience, and then us, of course, some confidence in knowing that we actually have come to believe in the right Christ, if we believe that he is Christ and God in the flesh. And here are some of the reasons of confidence for a believer kind of going throughout the whole letter. Um, it's not about not having sin, right? It's not about being sinless, but rather in, in 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and it cleanses us from all unrighteousness, right? It's not about us being perfect. It's not about being sinless. It's about having the one that we can actually confess to because of he is righteous, And we can be confident then in our right standing with God, because if we sin, this is chapter 2, if you remember this, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, which is that big word for atonement, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we have this opportunity now, because of his cleansing, to be with God due to his righteousness. So he says again in 2.28, So now, little children, abide in him, 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shriek from him, shrink from him in shame at his coming. And that's amazing. That's incredible. We get to be confident in his presence, but it's not just in his presence, but actually within his family. Chapter three told us this, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God, actually in the family of God. And so we are. How is this possible? How can he do this? Well, in chapter 4, he tells us what he's given us. 4.13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He's given us his spirit. And this is not because we have done such great deeds. This was only because in 4.19, we're told we love because he first loved us. It's only out of his first love. So the simple truth is this, and we saw this at the beginning of chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And if you've been born of God, this now is your testimony, 511. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Okay, so he's been building, even though it's not an argument, you can see how he's been trying to give confidence, pastorally teaching his followers and then us today of saying, you guys, you got this, you have this, you can know and be confident that you are in Christ. So today we pick it up in verse 13 as he's concluding by kind of just keep going backwards. So he's saying, I write these things to you, all those things that we've looked at and more, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God you may know that you have eternal life, right? This is the power of God's word and encouragement, what John has been getting at to his readers, to his audience. And he's writing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, not just to teach people a gospel or to give them theology, but reminding the people that say, I have submitted my life to Christ. I've submitted my life to be in the family of God, to you this, this is the confidence that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, I grew up going to uh, Trout Creek Bible Camp. Has anyone been there? It's incredible. It's an incredible little camp. It's fun. Um, I have a lot of memories, good and, and bad, from there. Um, but uh, not because of the camp, just my own stuff. But I, uh, uh, one of the things was on the last night of camp, and you better believe when I was a youth pastor, I capitalized on this for sure. The last night of camp is super emotional right? All the boys are leaving the girls. They're like, all the things are happening, all the stuff. So you always do that incredible emotional song. You always have a gospel message. And then classically, what it was for me is you do like some kind of altar call, right? Something that usually had to do with like a bonfire or whatever. And every year, it was probably like six years in a row or whatever, every single year, they would give the emotional call Wow, I'd feel it in my bones. I'd feel everything they'd say. And if you, for the first time, want to receive Jesus Christ in your heart, and I would say, man, I don't know if I did it right. Like, I don't know if I said the right prayer. I don't know if I just did it for Sally or what, what did I do? So like, I would do it again. You know, and every year I would just become a born-again Christian, woo, for like two weeks. And then I'd just go right back to whatever, right? Every year, right? I didn't necessarily know and have confidence that I was a Christian, that I had this eternal life unconditional love of God. I thought I had to re-earn it because I don't know if I did it right. But the thing is, as John is pastorally encouraging us, it's not 
something to earn. It's not something to say perfectly. It's something to realize and receive and be confident in Christ's unconditional love. So understanding all of that, we can have confidence. He moves on verse 14. He says, and this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Right? Our confidence is not in what we ask. Our confidence, confidence is in his turning of his ears to his people when we cry out. Remember the Exodus story? We won't get into it, but remember, he, uh, God interacts with Moses at the burning bush, and he says, I have heard the cries of my people. I've seen their affliction. I hear it, and now I'm going to act. Right? According to my will. That's a side note. It wasn't necessarily what Moses wanted. If you know the story, he fought with God a lot on what he, God actually wanted to do about it, but he heard the cries. Even Jesus, before his death in the garden, he cried out to the Father asking this cup to be removed. But what does he conclude? Mark 14, 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So back to John's letter, our confidence shouldn't be that we have God's ear, and if we ask really nice with the sugar on top, pretty please, he'll give us whatever we want. Our confidence should be that if we say, God, I can't do this. I can't do this, but I'm confident that you can, and your ways are better. I'm releasing this to your ways that are higher. I'm releasing my sense of justice to your justice, which is more righteous. Your ways, because I trust it is better than how I would do it if I was in your position. See, the confidence for the believer is in who God is, not what we want God to do for us. And if we don't trust in who God is, then we're not going to have confidence to ask him to do what we're asking him to do. So verse 15, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, prayer is a fascinating subject, right? And it's, in, it's incredible, it's profound, it's deep. But praying in faith, that your request, in your request, it is no longer than your concern or burden alone. But now it's actually God. When we pray, we are lifting our burdens and our concerns to God, saying we can't do this in our own confidence, our own authority. I'm not going to take care of this alone. This now, God, will you be with me. And what are his promises? I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? Because in faith, we give up our authority when we pray, because it's not our will. If we're praying in our authority, then we're saying, God, here's my will. Can you do this, <laughs> right? But that's still in our authority. We're actually giving up our authority for God, and we might not ever know the outcome. We might not like the outcome, right? It's a classic example of kind of asking for directions, I don't know if you struggle with this, and I don't know why, and I'm not just convinced it's like a guy problem or whatever. I just, I don't know why. I just, I don't like asking for directions. I, whether I'm driving or I'm somewhere, I don't like doing it. I was trying to think through what is that, or directions, or even at like the hardware store. I'm like, where's this tool? I think, gosh, they, they have aisles. I can look it up on Google. I can figure it out. I'm a semi-educated adult. I can do this, right? I just want to figure it out. I think it's because I don't want to rely on someone else's authority on a subject that maybe I could figure out. I think that's what it is. I think that's what I've settled on, right? But prayer, when I'm in prayer of something, it's an active denial that my way is higher, right? We don't pray our will in the name of the Lord. We give up our 
burden to the one who is infinitely more wise and higher than we are, so that the right will can be done in that issue. And sometimes answers to prayer happen right away. Sometimes they won't happen in our lifetime, right? Sometimes he asks us to be part of the solution, right? Sometimes we need to be removed from it for the solution to happen because we're part of the problem. It's God's will now, not ours, when we ask in his name. Jesus said this in Mark 11, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in, in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And that's incredible. That's, a, that's amazing truth we have. And again, we love to not just take verses out of context, but like also look at all of Scripture. And John is reminding us, yes, that is so good, and that is true, and it's according to his will. So for example, the next time that you and I, and don't shake your head, I know maybe we've done it, you and I pray for someone we don't really like, <laughs> okay? All right, finger at me, All right? Pray for someone we don't really like for God to change them, for God to grip their heart. Come on, God, they got it. They just need, a, you know, whatever. We might, he might say, okay, I hear you, and I'm going to do that, and it's through you. It's through you. So I'm going to send you to be their best friend to take care of them. Would we still pray that prayer? If that was the answer, would we still pray that prayer? I think what happens a lot in prayer is it turns actually more into delegation for Christians, right? We don't want to deal with it, but you know that there is a spirit who can convict and change hearts, so let's have him do it so we don't have to, right? So let's delegate to God so we can go be comfortable. And this is not the confidence that John is talking about. He says, we can have confidence that you are not alone, that the world is not your problem to solve, that the almighty creator God has turned his ear and face towards his people and wants his people to be, to be with them and not weighted down and crushed. But we have actually somewhere to take our burdens and receive rest in his ability, his authority to act in the right way according to his will. So believing this, John makes this transition to some practicality. Verse 16 of chapter 5, he says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, there's a lot there. And if you're like anything like me, you read it the first couple of times and it's like, wait, what? I, I'm a little confused. What do you mean there's sin that does not lead to death? Okay, again, I'm no expert, but let's dive into this a little bit as a community. So a couple of things. John spent the first half of 1 John, this letter, walking us through this divide that has happened between darkness and light. Okay, and God is fully in the light, right? Uh, chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Then, from chapters 3 on, he's been transitioning to the nature of that light, being synonymous then with the character of love. That love then is defined as this unconditional, self-sacrificial thing that happens that only God can do. And the example that they give is Jesus on the cross. Let me read you chapter 4, 8 through 10. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
right? This light and love that is the character of God made manifest in the person of Jesus is now the prime way of loving one another, as Jesus commanded his followers to do as a lifestyle. John now talks about seeing a brother, being a fellow Christian, committing a sin. And just like the example of Jesus, there is this heart of unconditional and self-sacrificial love for that fellow believer, right? And just as important as laying one's life down for someone is interceding for someone through prayer, right? So physically, if we would lay our life down for someone, but we're unwilling to intercede prayer for them, we're not fully loving that person, right? That's what he's getting at. Following the example of Jesus, when we intercede for our fellow believers and care deeply about their sin, we are practicing what Christ did for us, putting our bodies in front of the blast, putting our life on the line for a fellow brother, and we can do this knowing that it's not because of us and our righteousness, but on the intercession and advocacy of Christ on our behalf. So if you see a brother committing a sin, then we are to intercede for them as if we were sacrificing our own bodies for them. It's the spiritual equivalent of sacrificing our bodies for them. But there's this odd language. Commit, there he says, committing a sin, not leading to death. What's that all about, okay? So like we've been doing through this whole series, we have to get into the context of the letter. We have to see the intent before we try to understand it with our kind of our Western brains and the way we think, right? So remember, John is writing to converted Jews, Jews now that believe Jesus is the Christ, but they're hearing these false teachings concerning Jesus and they're confused on what the truth is. Okay, the language of brother is important because this implies the, per the person committing a sin here is not leading to death, is a born again, follower of Jesus. That this person now, though their goal should be to turn and run away from sin, they have the unconditional advocacy and intercession of Jesus the righteous. Okay, so for a believer then who is in Christ Jesus, there is no longer heading for death, but life, right? Their sin is now covered in the saving grace and mercy of Christ. The prayer for this fellow believer will be to turn back to the truths and not turn back to their old way of life. The sins of a believer can no longer then, with the advocacy and unconditional love of Christ, lead to death, because in Jesus, we're told in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you might say, well, that's just, that's too much grace. And I would say, yes, <laughs> that is too much grace. It's ridiculous that Christ would love me that much, and honestly, you that much, right? But what does unconditional mean? What does no condemnation in Christ Jesus means if there could be conditions, right? What does that mean, right? It's too much grace. It's shocking. But those outside of believers, for those like these false teachers around them who have rejected Jesus as Messiah, who have rejected and are hostile towards those who were once fellow believers, there is sin that leads to death. So what does he say? He says, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And honestly, it's a tad perplexing. Why would John counsel against prayer for that? My guess here is that it's, not, it's just because it's not actually the proper way to pray for those outside of the community of believers. For believers who are in Christ, it's intercession and helping them turn back to the truth that they now have in Christ, like John is doing in his letter for us today. 
But for non-believers, people that just reject Jesus as the Christ, it's the prayer for conviction, the prayer for confession, the prayer for salvation, right? Those are two very different things. So listen, when we look at the world, to anyone who rejects Jesus, we cannot hold them to Jesus' standards. We cannot hold them to Christian standards, right? They don't believe. They're not new creations, but the old doing what it does best, and that is just living in the self, right? And that's not an indictment. It's not saying those who are not Christians can't love things or do great things, right? But if it's not in the name of Jesus, then it's not under this new covenant of grace, but under the old covenant of law. It's just the old covenant of blessings and cursings, right? So it's just bringing a resume of self-righteousness to God against his holy law and seeing how it compares. And to that, I would say, good luck, (laughs) you know? Well, but let's be clear. All wrongdoing is sin. Christians sin, right? Christians sin. Again, the goal is not for us to be sinless. We are sinners. But our hope is not in our not sinning. Our hope is in the salvation through Jesus Christ. And our hope is that when we confess our sins, we have somewhere to do that. He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us. So if you're a skeptical believer or you're someone who just doesn't care about the whole God thing, it should never be that Christians think they're better than you. It should never be that. And for Christians in the room, we should never think we are better than anyone's, right? If they live that way or think that way, they're boasting in the wrong thing because the salvation is nothing that they did. The Christian is a sinner who realized they're dead in their sin, recognized the need for a Savior, believed that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and the only true Savior, confessing sin and confessing allegiance to him, thus being born again to be called a child of God. So where is the boasting in that? Where is the boasting in that? As Paul writes, Ephesians 2.8, For by, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Conversely, non-Christians sin, but the path of salvation is outside of Christ, which by definition of Jesus being the only way, truth, and life, the way, life, and the truth, this leads to what the scriptures call death, right? Death being ways of spiritual life that have no life because there's no God, and God is life. So ultimately, there is no other Savior. We either naturally follow the path towards death, that, lead, that sin leads to death that we are born into, or we trust that God has a way out and to something so much better that we give ourselves to instead. And here's the harsh spiritual reality of those who are outside of God's salvation, that they are still dead in their sins. Okay? Now, not that their lives are meaningless, Now that, I mean, all living, breathing image bearers have the opportunity to bring beauty and peace to this world, and that is by definition a natural grace from God. And not to be hating or harsh because I was dead too. At one point, we were all dead in our sins, right? Let me read this to you. Let this sink into your bones. This is from the Apostle Paul. I found, I tried to like cut this shorter, and it is all just so good. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So let that sink in. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let that sink in. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. So this is not meant to be hating or on those outside the Christian community. It's more of a proclamation of, I was there. We were there. We were also in that, trying to save ourselves, trying desperately to give meaning and purpose to our lives. But instead, believing that we're sinners in need of saving and believing that Jesus Christ is that salvation. So instead, we give our lives to receive that meaning and purpose according to his will, not our will any longer, right? Man, what have we found? This is incredible, right? And this is why we fight for each other in and through this intercessory prayer that John's talking about, for wrongdoing being the, the saving grace of Jesus. So now, now that we can live confidently as sons and daughters of God. So this is encouragement. This is why John continues, verse 18 of chapter 5. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Again, we still sin, right? But this is not the rebellious sin that rejects God or his promises, but the natural consequences of living as sinners in a sinful world. This is why the kingdom of heaven should be on our minds and our hearts all the time. Our world needs to be made new. And again, John is drawing these comparisons to light and darkness, love and hate, now going back to the two family values of his own family of God versus the family of what John has been talking about, of the devil. Right? Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Right? Just as Christ is the first fruits of the new creation, we are the first fruits of his new kingdom people. His kingdom that Peter puts it in his letter, be your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And this should spark something in us, right? This should be our charge and our driving force. God has started a thing in us that he's going to see to completion. We know that we are from God. What he is doing in us and protecting us and the evil one cannot touch us. The power of evil one has no power over us for now we are from God. Literally, if the devil wants to mess with us, he has to go through God who has already defeated him, right? What an encouragement. So John ends his letter here, verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. There doesn't have to be confusion, right? We have this power now that resides within us, and we know the message that we have received and we can pass on to those. So we fight for the family of believers. We intercede for one another because it's not in the not sinning, but in the confession of our sins before God in our community that spurs us on to this marvelous light. And I love how this letter ends because it doesn't end it with like, hey, here's my heart, greetings from wherever, love you guys, peace out, whatever. He just like ends with a, like a banger, right? Verse 21, little children, keep yourself from idols. Like, if you're going to say anything to end something, you know, just don't do it, right? That's it. All of the scriptures, idols, for, the, for as long as humans have been alive, have gripped the hearts of God's people and led them astray. But John admonishes his readers, church, keep yourself from idols. Do not give your heart 
away to ways that can only lead back to death that you have been saved from. But follow God who is light and who is love. And all of this is because of the blessed grace of his son, Jesus, who is the great atonement for our sins, that we would now be washed clean and can now come confidently before God as sinners because we can now live in the light. It's beautiful, right? And what we're going to do right now, and I took a little longer than I wanted to, uh, we're actually going to, uh, I'm going to have uh, the readers come on up, if you were in the room. Originally, this letter would have been read, read in one city. Okay, originally this would have been sent. Now put yourself in the shoes, right, of, of the early Christians. They heard of this Jesus. They believe in this Jesus. There's people within their community that are saying different things than they've heard. They're confused. They don't know what's going on. And then this John the Elder, as we're told, sends a letter to the church in Ephesus. Sends a letter to the church and just says, okay, hey guys, here's the confidence that you have. You don't have to be confused by this. You don't have to be, be wondering what is the truth of this. Here's the letter to be read. And now that we've taken, guys, three months, you know it's been three months? Taking three months to get into the context of each chapter, to kind of understand and wrestle with some of the things so when we hear it, it's more familiar than confusing. And so now these wonderful readers, aren't they wonderful? Um, they are going to be reading, they're going to read chapters one through five as if it was given to us. This is from John, pastorally from John, to the church now in 2022 in Albany, Oregon. Uh, his words, Grant, let me get you a mic. You can take it from there. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not, do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we had an advocate in the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which we walked. He walked. 
Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is the new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him. There is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because of your sins, because your sins are forgiven for his namesakes. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing, I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for they have been of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all you, have, you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, because, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you have heard from the beginning, if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will too abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write to you these things about who you are trying to deceive. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone, sorry. Uh, but as he is anointing teachers, you have about everything, and it is true, and this is no lie, just as it is ha as has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Am I going to you? Yeah, okay. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure." Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 
You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 
We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. So guys, this letter was written, remember, in like 90 AD, 90, 95 AD. So we're in a long line in history of people who believe in Jesus and are trying to figure out what does that Christian life look like? You heard so much stuff in there that's relevant today, and they couldn't even fathom in 90 AD what we were dealing with in 2022, you know? And it's crazy to think that, you know, we're, there's a lot of areas that are gray, and there's a lot of areas that are obviously through the scriptures and through everything kind of figuring out well how do we what's our stance on this that kind of thing but what we shouldn't do and what is hard not to do and as you can see john pastorally writing to people then and then people now is we shouldn't live in fear if god loves us or shouldn't live in the in the unconfidence of saying well like a, kind of a camp every year of like i don't know if i did it right or whatever you know our we can actually have confidence that Jesus Christ, the righteous, is alive and well, that he actually is Savior and that we can actually have new life in him. And there's confidence in that. So we can actually live through that. We don't have to be in fear. That perfect love casts out that fear. And that would, is so, that's what's so beautiful about John's letter, that it's so relevant to us today that we can do that. So I hope that this letter just becomes a rich one, kind of a, we always talk about it, maybe it's cringy language, but kind of like tools in the toolbox, right? Of just like, now we understand First John a little bit better as a people who are just growing and what does the scriptures have to say? How does it inform our, our worldview and our life? Um, but we, if we could be a people, just us in this room and us at a part of Hub City that are confident in who Christ is and confident in what we have in Christ, that will mean more than figuring out all the issues down the line. So let's start there. It's, it's beautiful to sit in that. And today we get to respond to that and worship that. And you know how we do it. We're going to sing lots of songs. Um, Bryce is going to lead us in that. Uh, we're going to pray uh, together. I'll be in the back. I'd love to pray with you, but pray um, together with people. Pray alone. We have this access to God, which is so big. Uh, the giving of our earthly treasures, this, this money stuff that we hold on to to say, hey, I want to give it to a common good to then be able to be used for uh, the community um, is a beautiful thing. And then, of course, going to the table. So Ashley's provided communion for us, and we get to go. And Bryce is going to play a few songs, and you get to go at, at your own kind of leisure and take communion and just have it be that powerful moment where Jesus, the, the night before he was betrayed, looks at his disciples and says, you don't understand this now, but this represents my body and my blood. And it's going to be broken for you, and it's going to be shed for you. And one day you will understand that every time you gather and you speak of my name and you you realize the beauty and the and the atoning sacrifice that i provide for your sins to partake in this together as a community um, and we get to do that today so let's worship our king let me pray and then you can go to the tables at any time